0: Welcome to Unpacking the Digital Shelf, where we explore brand manufacturing in the digital age. Hey everyone, Peter Crosby here from the Digital Shelf Institute. The annual CAGNI event, or the Consumer Analyst Group of New York, is a rich opportunity to get the pulse of CPG CEOs and CFOs and identify business trends and areas of focus that will impact the industry up until the next Cagney. There is no one better than Russ Derringer, founder and CEO of Stratably, to come on the podcast to summarize the shifts we can expect from some of the largest companies on earth and the takeaways for you. So, Russ Derringer, welcome back to the podcast. We're so excited to have you back today.
1: Oh, thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here.
0: So you took a deep dive into the reporting on Cagni or the Consumer Analyst Group of New York. It, it's one of the biggest CEO conferences for CPG leaders in the space, and really talks a lot and puts front and center the strategies and visions of some of the top companies in the world. And you translate CEO speak better into action items better than anyone I know, so um and there's a lot of shifts going on in the industry. So, what uh, what sort of tablets of business commandments have come down from the Mount of Cagney that you should share with our audience?
1: <laughs> yeah. So, so the Cagney conference for those that are a little bit uh, less familiar, really the largest consumer packaged goods brands go, and it's sort of a I don't know somewhere in between a quarterly earnings call and an investor day for these uh, companies. The audience tends to be uh, investment analysts. And so the CPG companies get to talk about sort of what they're seeing near-term and then also what they're focused on in order to drive growth and, and profitability over the you know medium to, to, to long-term. I think this year's conference was sort of refreshing, I would describe it as, because there was much more of a discussion around what I'll describe as return-to-normal type themes. So if you go back a year, 2022... Uh, This conference, the conversation was really monopolized by a focus on inflation and supply chain issues. And you would have seen uh, the supply chain issues and like lapping COVID in, in the 2021 meeting. But 2023 was very much a feeling that cut across essentially all of the presenting companies that we were moving past this period of extreme volatility. Colgate palmolive had a great chart that sort of illustrated the last three years that we all lived through COVID, then lapping COVID in supply chain, and then unexpected uh, unprecedented inflation. But as they sort of looked to the future and really all of the presenting companies, they started to say, look, you know, it's it's uncommon to be a consumer staples company growing eight, nine, 10%. We think we're going to return to more of that low single digit type growth. Um, we think we're going to have a lot less volatility around supply chain, um, et cetera. And so there was much more of a focus on common value driving initiatives, whether that's, you know, companies talking about product innovation, uh, could be companies talking about reshaping their portfolio, either uh, divesting, uh, certain brands that were not strategic to them, or acquiring certain brands, or you know integrating brands that they had recently acquired, but just very sort of like common core CPG value driving initiatives were front and center uh, this year, which again was sort of a welcome relief from everyone just talking about inflation and getting price increases through, which is what uh, that w- which was the case in twenty twenty two.
0: Well, it's funny because you know every company out there has lived through periods of recession so while no one's welcoming it or anything like that it, we understand what happens in that but the you're absolutely right like the, the that sort of lineup of three uh you know real epic upheavals uh i i'm i'm knocking wood literally <laughs> please do please uh, just do. to make sure but that at least there's some semblance of a normal that uh that can be sort of based on prior experience and and figured out. Is that kind of what you're saying?
1: Yeah, yeah. I think that was a common theme that emerged. And I think it stood out a little bit too, because I would say the CPG brands presenting at this conference, they had, I mean, this is subjective, but the tone I think from them was a little bit more positive than what if you follow the, the retailers like Amazon, Walmart, Target, et cetera, I think their tone in the first quarter of this year was a little bit more conservative, a little bit more cautious than what the CPG brands were talking about. Now, part of this is, you know, a lot of these CPG brands there are food and beverage. So that, you know, some of it's kind of category, categorical differences. Um, But nonetheless, I did feel like these CPG brands were a little bit more optimistic about about 23 and and, and moving forward uh, than some of their big retail customers uh, based on what the retailers have guided in, in some of the forecasts uh, on that part of the value chain uh, of retail.
2: And Russ, I'm curious where digital fell in all these conversations, because I'm sure it was a critical topic in the past couple of years. But where where is it standing with most of the companies these days? And was it like a big theme as well?
1: Yeah. I, I, um, so this is not this conference is not a digital oriented conference, but digital themes and I wrote about this were really front and center uh, at at this conference. And although you might have thought that that was the case in prior years, it really wasn't because again, so much of the conversation was focused on critical near term things like supply chain and inflation. So this year as more companies sort of started to look further out into the future, they did start to talk about digital uh, um, much more prevalently than they have in the past. So, um, you know, and I think that that manifested itself in a, in a few ways from like an e-commerce perspective, like a sales perspective, as an example, you know, very common for these CBG organizations to be talking about a, a, the, uh, a growing percentage of their business shifting online. We actually, surprisingly, there were three organizations that indicated their online share is greater than their in-store share. So I think it was Colgate-Palmolive, General Mills, and Kellogg's all three of them, they didn't have to say this, but they did. They came out and said, Hey, our online share is, is greater than in store, which I felt to be f- that's quite a,
0: that's a huge shocking
1: and sort of non-consensus because you think about online, sort of this quote unquote infinite shelf, right? There's just more competition online. Yeah. Plus, you think about you know these big CBD organizations, I've worked with them for a decade, right? And they they've always been criticized, you know, they're 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 moving too slow, they don't get digital, etc. Well, they put a lot of effort in over the over the, that last decade and you know, depending on the, uh, the the accuracy of these numbers and these estimates, I think it's showing that, you know, wow, they they've really come a long way. They've taken digital seriously, they've added really smart people, they've put a lot of resources behind it and it's starting to show up. In the overall market numbers, so I thought that was a really interesting sort of disclosure from not just one but several companies at at this conference. Russ,
0: do you think that part of it is that um, now that money's not free, uh, a lot of sort of the um, the way in which the upstarts were able to take market share was. Was through organic, very effective organic, and kind of slicing away at at um, at the legacy company's market share. But now, the the way you win is by is a lot has to do with spend, um, and uh, particularly on a on a few of the major retailer channels. Like, do you feel like in some ways legacy roaring back is just that they have some deep pockets that they can afford to? Uh, there also did, I mean. God knows we know they've done incredible foundational work uh, on on the digital shelf, the way they show up on digital shelf and product pages and things like that. I'm not discounting that, but I'm wondering if that's part of it is just that the the game has changed really and advantages them more.
1: Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. I mean, they're not reliant on raising a next round of capital in order to be able to stay in in business. So I think that financial wherewithal, uh, is a, you know is is a, a component of it. I also just think that you know over over time, you know largely because of the pandemic, as the 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 percentage of sales coming from online has grown into meaningful dollars before them, that's sort of in parallel driven more. Uh, uh, focus inside their organizations, and they put a lot more resources, even beyond. I'm saying even beyond paid search spend and things of that nature, but just more, more, more people, more uh, technology investment, et cetera, behind it. So I think it's, uh, you know, I, I think the fact that some of their, let's call them digital native, smaller ankle biter startups, are in a different financial environment today. I think that's part of it, but I also think in parallel these organizations have gotten smarter and they're just putting more kind of muscle behind it. And it helps that they don't have to, you know, be raising these, these um, financing rounds in order to kind of stay in business. They are self-funding it just because of, you know, the, the, how big these organizations are. Right.
0: Yeah. Let's do a little bit of a deep dive on, on retail media. One I'd like to start sort of with what you heard around media ROI uh, and you know, how are people spending on digital and and how are they feeling about the continued upside there? and where does it tap out? things like that? And then, uh, you know, and then just sort of how organizations, how it sounds like organizations are responding to making retail media such a focus.
1: Yeah. so digital, or I should say media efficiency was a common theme throughout the various company presentations. And improving media. ROI, media efficiency, was uh, very much tied to increasing the amount of spend going into digital channels broadly. Um, on average, I would say company, you know, not uncommon for these CPG organizations to be spending 50, 60% of their budgets on digital. It can kind of vary by organization, but all have been increasing the percentage of their media spent going to digital over the last several years. So that's that's kind of substantial. Yeah. and, (laughs) And, and, um and, 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 and interestingly, we really haven't hit the point of diminishing returns. Like they keep increasing it year after year after year. And their commentary at this conference, as an example, suggested they're going to continue to push that figure higher because they're just seeing such a positive Outcome as a result. Now, one of the companies presenting there was Hostess, and they indicated I was somewhat surprised at this that 100% of their spend is digital. So they were a little, you know, an outlier at the conference, and you can't go more than 100, but they're sort of paving the way, and maybe we'll, you know, eventually you know possibly um get twinkies there
0: twinkies ain't on tv anymore is that what you're talking I don't about? know
1: i guess i guess <laughs> uh I, I guess not i haven't seen a twinkies commercial in a while <laughs> in a long
0: time yeah yeah
1: it's been a, it's been a little while um so so that was one you know theme of just more marketing budget towards digital now <clears throat> within digital uh, uh several of the cpg organizations talked about the importance of retail media within that, helping drive that media efficiency. So retail media, I would consider it to be quite a standout at this year's conference, uh, and much more so than previous year's uh, pre- presentation. So organizations on the, on the brand side you know, certainly see an opportunity with Uh, Retail media being a a key part of the future of driving efficiency further. Part of that obviously is because of what's happened from a privacy perspective in some of their social channels. It's become, uh, uh, as we all know, more difficult to measure, et cetera. And so, you know, some of that money is shifting over to retail media. But, um, but, but retail media for the for I would say again, subjectively, kind of for the first time, it was really a part of how these organizations are talking about uh, their plans to to, uh, activate uh, going, going forward.
2: And Russ, did they talk at all about how they're integrating it into their organization or how they're thinking about it more holistically across all of their planning? I'm just curious because I know with the increased spend, it means potentially increased team and support and integrating more into sales and marketing and shopper
1: yeah to a degree so they didn't uh, necessarily like specifically call out like real changes to their, organ- their organizational structure now we're working on a study to try to uh understand what is uh leading uh, edge in that regard in terms of how brands do quote unquote uh, retail media but where i think you saw it sort of get fleshed out a little bit in these presentations is that retail media was mentioned in the same breath as what they're doing on social media or what they're doing on connected TV, there was no separation in their, at least in their presentations, around that 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 that, that uh, uh, around the role for retail media. This is media. This is part of how we're spending our marketing budgets, and it's a core part of it. I think that, and 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 the three of us know this because we're doing research on it. Um, there's a lot of uh we're let's put it this way we're in the early innings of organizations figuring out okay how do we exactly integrate retail media because it's you know it's part retail and it's part media and it's kind of something different but the same and so how do we make that work in the organization we're still trying to figure that out you know collectively as an industry um but i think most consumer brands especially you know these real sophisticated ones that we're talking about they recognize like hey we've We've got to figure out how to integrate this. And so I think you, you started to see that with some of these presentations where, again, it's just mentioned in the same breath as other activations that are that that they're doing and, and thinking about.
0: So Russ, yeah, uh, Rob Gonzalez and I were talking to a CPG uh, marketing uh, e-commerce executive the other day who really, his organization has transitioned to be sort of, not to be sort of, to be omnichannel in nature and that he now owns retailer uh, media, in-store, you know, shopper marketing media and content center of excellence in one organization. it's called, you know, it's headlined omnichannel. Like we and that's at a major CPG organization. So you're I think you're seeing the efficiencies and the alignment that people want to get across sort of the I don't know the value chain of how they're spending to draw consumers and then how it converts when they reach the moment of decision in store and online, and, and I I love that thing because as we're thinking about making this all profitable, uh, get you know getting the most growth with the, at the least cost, it needs executives that are that are able to cut across all that all that stuff. Does that resonate for you? For you? Yeah, an
1: analogy I think about is a toolbox, and I I feel like if you uh, sort of a typical structure today is you have a brand team kind of national media team doing you know has one set of goals and they're looking at every possible tool available to them with the exception of retail media and then you got salespeople that are trying to have sales and they're responsible for these sales accounts and it just so happens that retail media is through these retailers that they sell through so they're they're trying to meet their goals and but and they're just looking at, at retail media. So a lot of organizations have sort of artificially constrained themselves and divided up this toolbox. But if we take a step back and say, what are we trying to do as a company? Like, what's our what, what are our objectives? What are our goals? Um, once you start to understand that, you recognize why would we artificially constrain ourselves? And I and a great example is if you think about um, doing a advertisement for an NFL game, like you think about Thursday night football, Amazon today owns the Thursday night football rights. And so if you were to do a commercial with them, that looks like a TV commercial. And if you had gone back a couple of years when Fox or CBS or whoever, ESPN had the rights and you did a TV commercial, that would have come from a different team. Those are just TV commercials, right? And so we know when, when you look at that example, that we should not be splitting this up in this kind of weird artificial way. We need to give the organization the the um benefit of looking at the whole toolbox and so that whatever is the right tool they can they can use. So that's the kind of the analogy that I think about. And I think um that senior leadership teams really need to understand this dynamic that. Your these different groups inside the organization, marketing and sales, right? They have typically different incentives. So one's trying to drive reach and awareness, and one's trying to drive sales. And it was, was it Charlie Munger? I'm gonna like I'm gonna really uh, mischaracterize the quote, probably, or he who even said it. But I think he said, "Show me <laughs> the incentives, and I'll show you the outcome." Yeah. Right. And so yeah. it's not surprising that the sales team doesn't want to do a bunch of upper funnel reach stuff when they're trying to meet a number for the for the year. And it's not surprising that the marketing team who's not incented on sales is not real interested in doing paid search. None of that's surprising. And so the organization, in my opinion, has to find a way to referee that. And so whether Peter, to your point, to your example, that's sort of like restructuring the organization. I mean, I think that's one approach. We've seen companies do that. Um, I think a, uh, you know, a step in that direction is not necessarily restructuring, but recognizing those incentives differ, and then having a process in place to referee, you know, those, those differences of opinion, you know, just recognizing that different parts of the organization are going to want to do things differently. So how do we referee that? I think that's another, you know, sort of, sort of approach. So maybe at CAGNI 2024, you know, we'll start to hear more substantial uh, uh, commentary about how they've changed you know, their organizational structure around media to sort of take a omni perspective.
0: Yeah. And I, and Russ, I, th- I think, sorry, Lauren, I just, before I forget this thought, <laughs> that, um, that this is a career making opportunity for our audience as I, as I think about it, you know, I, I, one of the things that has struck me ever since I came into this business and, and now eight years later is just how amazingly thoughtful passionate um uh sort of the how forceful our audience needs to be to get the changes done that they need to get at their organization and i think that puts i hope audience is true you feel is true it puts you in the position of being able to bring all of that agility and and capability and knowledge into the omni-channel environment into really having a, the biggest impact because of what you know from digital, both organizationally and um, and in terms of how to execute to a broader set of of impact for the company. And I seeing that at some pockets of places, I believe that's the next, you know, five year arc of career growth for for a lot of our people. Lauren, I'll, I'll pass that to you just to see if that makes sense. And then you can say your thing.
2: Oh, I a thousand percent agree. I mean, I think the the digital leaders in the organizations who understand this, who are making those changes, who are creating what I like to call shared goals across each function, it is career changing because you're bringing an organization together and you're bringing an organization into the next phase. To your point, Peter, like if you don't have shared goals, to Russ's point, you are siloed and you're creating your own silos. So Shared goals is something I've seen a lot of organizations really double down on where the sales team, the marketing team, the R&D team, supply chain, in all of their goals and objectives or whatever process they have, everybody has this shared e-commerce goal or the shared sales goal. And so if everybody doesn't meet that goal, then compensation is correlated with that. And I say this a lot, but what gets measured gets managed. And if you want to break down those silos, then you really do need to incentivize people to be omnichannel because that's naturally human nature how they're going to react to those types of goals. So and, I and, I yeah. totally agree and
0: the, the, the being the tail wagging the dog can be exhausting. you know being the one that's trying to push other people's incentives from your seat is dangerous and 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 scary uh, but come on, you all have been doing that for years so <laughs> we we hope to see people stepping it up and being able to drive those across omnichannel too. And yeah, that's
2: talk to other people doing it that's what the dsi is for that's yes. what russ and team are for like come talk to us so we can sympathize with you
1: yeah. <laughs> and that that's part of the uh job description i think is uh for e-commerce leaders it's always been sort of a group inside the organization that is kind of you know you have to i don't know conv- can do a lot of convincing yeah, uh, yeah connecting <laughs> and convincing and bridge building but peter i mean one of my reactions i, th- I think uh I'm recalling back it may have been like 2016 2017 i was speaking at one of salsa Vice conference we were in you had this setup; uh it was like a divided room and i was speaking and and one of my last slides was i was i was um you know it was a, it was an audience filled with e-commerce professionals right but i was trying to make the point like hey this is the future you all are going to be the future ceos the future c-suite and at the time you know going back then it wasn't that long ago but in the world of e-commerce it kind of was um, at the time that was sort of a like a revolutionary statement but I but I I tend to I, I very much still believe that and, and very much agreeing with you that this is um this is a career defining moment and I think it was on Amazon then it was on re- retail media it's just getting more and more sort of complex and so I like how you brought up you know agility and and, and, and flexibility and I think that, really speaks to a big challenge inside of these large organizations of like how do you how do you go from you know formulating plans that take 18 months to ultimately get to market or set a budget once a year how do you how do you get the organization to move as fast as the feedback loops are moving you mm-hmm. know it's not like planning an end cap and then putting it out there and then seeing how it does that takes months right? you go to activate on a digital platform or retail media or whatever, you start to get performance right away. And all these retailers are coming out with new innovations all the time. And so do you have flexibility in your budget to experiment and test and shift money where uh, it's performing best? I mean, I think a lot of the organizations at this conference that we're talking about today, that's what they're trying to do. It's very difficult. And I have such an appreciation for the e-commerce teams inside these giant organizations and being able to influence that change it's hard it takes a while it's can be I would maybe characterize it as frustrating at times I'm sure for some of these teams um, but when you can do it you start to see the output which is hey we're, we're we've got greater share online than in store you know to bring it to back yeah. to that data point so um but 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 the skill set that the e-commerce teams and, and digital teams are developing I mean this is only going, Sort of in one direction.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and and we're hearing more digital. (laughs) We're hearing a lot that for retailers that have marketplaces, they are making um, listing new products on the marketplace the price of entry to even be considered for in store, and and so that also puts our folks, because I'm biased, in the position of sort of being the the way for new products to come to market. Which is an amazing uh, opportunity, I think.
1: Yeah, and the ability to to um, to rapidly commercialize products yeah. for online and be able to really lean in to that capability, particularly on a marketplace like Amazon or increasingly Walmart, be able to get products out there, see how they see what the reaction is, see what the consumer reaction is. Very tough again for for organizations to do that for a variety of reasons margin goals, certain, you know, volume, you know, limitations, you know, they 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 need enough volume in order to make it economical, et cetera, et cetera. Bunch of challenges to it. That's why not everyone can 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 accomplish that, but a real competitive edge, you know, if if you can. And I don't know why a merchant wouldn't want that test to happen online first before they make a big commitment. Well I don't think we're there yet, but I think we are going to get yeah. there. Uh, in the not too distant future, and I think that also um, poses a threat to incumbent brands inside of stores, right? Because if there are a lot of digital native brands that do make a lot of traction online, you know, why wouldn't a Walmart merchant want want that product, you know, inside of a inside yeah. of a store?
2: Russ, I know we could talk about this for ages, but last but not least, we wanted to get to that. One of the last things that you talked about was data. So first-party data, I know it was a big topic that came up at Cagme. What were brands saying about it? How are they kind of using it and leveraging it?
1: Yeah, so this was an area. So I expect these organizations to be able to talk a little bit more about first-party data in 2024 and beyond. I think in 2023, this year's conference, there was a lot of discussion about collecting first party data i think where the gap in the conversation and the presentations was is what is the business value of that first party data so all of these organizations they 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 know and they feel like they should be collecting it and that's what they're working on they're building up um they you know they're building up these data repositories but how are they deploying it how are they using it to drive media efficiency that was a little bit of a gap uh, uh, in my, from my perspective. So we'll see, uh, what, you know, if that conversation changes over the next year, I think, uh, innovative tools like Amazon marketing cloud as an example is, is going to help in some ways unlock some of that value as can, as will clean rooms more generally speaking. Um, but, but that was kind of the state state or, or, or my conclusion around first party data is a lot of, a lot of, innovative and interesting ways of collecting it. Okay. But now how do we use it? And I think that'll be something that these organizations challenge themselves to be able to articulate to the investment community in uh, next year's conference, hopefully.
2: And Russ, I don't know if you agree, but I feel like the brands who are doing it are getting so far ahead of the ones that are not because there's so much data that both the brands have and the retailers have. So one, if you're partnering with your retailer, there's an opportunity there. But two, if you're the brand and you're understanding what your consumers are purchasing and trying to predict what they might purchase next or personalizing that experience, like there's so much opportunity to do something like that. We talked about it on another podcast around like, if you're buying cookies, try and sell milk. If that is part of your portfolio, like how can you make those experiences using data that you already have?
1: Yeah. And there's no, you know, if you haven't started, you no better time to start than today. You know, kind of thing. I mean, there's a lot of urgency to all of this, you know, stuff, right? There's a lot going on, um, but I would, I, I, uh, how would I characterize it? I think consensus thinking is kind of um, centered around the importance of first-party data, and even if organizations aren't quite articulating the value of it today necessarily, um, there's expectation that they're going to be able to really leverage this information uh, in the future, again, to keep driving media efficiency and then everything that cascades down off of that um, as as a result. So, yeah, and there's big efforts, you know, there's big efforts underway to try to collect this type of of information from consumers. It's not easy to do. And so um, the the companies that are able to do that are going to have an advantage over the long term.
0: Or well, us, you know, we have you back uh, at least once a quarter, I think now, uh, which is amazing. And so we'll recagney uh, in twenty twenty four for sure. We'll make sure that that's on the calendar. <laughs> you know, I'm going to break my own rule here to close out. Uh, I actually want you to actively plug your your business on this podcast. Uh, Lauren, Rob, and I are all are all subscribers. You know, I was saying to this this to you before we recorded that. Every single email I get from you, I learn something. It's actionable. So I just want you to take a few moments before we go. And please plug yourself and what, oh. what your organization does.
1: Oh, I, I appreciate it. So uh, I appreciate the uh, opportunity to do that. So Stratably, very simply, closes the e-commerce knowledge gap inside of consumer brands, retailers, agencies, and the ecosystem around it. And we do that in two ways. One is we help the e-commerce team stay on top of the market. So we all know this space is incredibly dynamic and these individuals on these teams, they're busy, they're running, they're running the business. They cannot on their own, keep up with all the changes in the market. So we help them do that. We're that outsourced analyst team uh, that is helping them do that. In addition, a big part of that team's role is to educate their colleagues and upskill their colleagues on digital commerce. And we help them do that through our weekly written research, through our weekly uh, live events. And then we also make all of that come to life by doing one on one presentations and and workshops and things of that nature with our enterprise clients. So the combination of weekly written insights, weekly live events, doing these uh, uh, one on one sessions with us over the course of a year. That's how you keep your team up to date on the market. That's how you upskill your colleagues. And that's our focus. And that's our business model. We're not driven by sponsorships. We are 100% aligned with our subscribers. And and that's what we um, come to market with. And and we try to help our clients each and every week uh, with, with, with that type of research and that type of content.
2: And so you do in... a fantastic job. I just, Peter, wanted to also jump in and just say, like, <laughs> yeah, the content that Russ puts together is, from someone who was in the seat, it is incredibly relevant and it is accurate. And I really encourage you to, to follow and subscribe.
0: When, when this airs, this will be our 220th podcast. I have wow. never done that with a guest.
2: Oh, ever.
0: wow. Uh, oh. You know, Wait, so no. uh, anyway... That's enough said about that. I'm going to embarrass Russ. He'll probably be blushing. So anyway, I, I um, thank you, Russ, as always, for coming on and, and sharing your perspective. As you know, I think you're awesome.
1: Well, thank you very much. Uh, pleasure to talk about this. Love talking about th- these topics, as you can tell. And thanks for having me on again. And thanks for all you do for the community as well.
2: Thanks, thanks Russ.
0: Thanks again to Russ for his brain and everything. Swing on over to digitalshelfinstitute.org and become a member to keep this kind of knowledge coming your way. Thanks for being part of our community.